the fans have spoken, Kevin Watts. You're just going to do the intros from now on. <laughs> uh, if by the fans you mean you, because you are flogging yourself unnecessarily, that's fine. I'll do the intro. I'm never so, above. I'm never above constructive criticism, and when the constructive criticism is not constructive, it's just straight out rude, negative. I'm even more open to that. <laughs> well, I see you wiping your tears away, so I'll try to be gentle. Um, so, if you recall, five days ago or so, we here in Southeast Michigan were blessed with. A picturesque Ansel Adams meets Norman Rockwell landscape of white wintry wondrousness. Of course, since then, that has been blasted by a fire hose of Rouge River water that melted most of the snow and just made a mess of things. But uh, needless to say, and nonetheless, snow is on the brain these days so got to thinking about all the snow things so oc you as you often do take my very grandiose and you know head in the clouds concept and and narrowed it down so that people who aren't quite as uh challenged as i am challenged (laughs) challenged actually grasp the concept so we distilled it down you distilled it down into four manageable categories to help us, you know, kind of reflect on uh, the experiences with the uh, the ice and snow and the winter wonderland. So, four categories. We're going to be talking about snow moments in movies, snow moments in TV shows, our best personal snow experiences, and best snow toys. Am I right? Kevin, it, you're so right. There are few greater sensations to feel as a small child than the one that I got to see three little kids experience twice this week and then three times last week, which is school's canceled. <laughs> now, you and, I, you and I grew up in an era where, you ready for this? Back in the day. We're back in the day. The parameters around canceling school were a bit loosey-goosey. Not that we are going to even infer that we had it as bad as our parents' generations or their generations before them, but I at least remember having to have above six inches at least of snow before they just outright canceled it yeah i i mean i had to walk about a hundred yards to my high school and i distinctly remember my hair freezing getting attacked by a polar bear and escaping an avalanche just to get to school that was not canceled right we we have the unique privilege of at some point in our lives having long male hair. And I can assure you that one of the worst sensations 
in the history of mankind is being a high school aged boy walking into high school with frozen hair. Well, you don't mess with the letty. Right. So the snow aspect, I have to ask you your opinion, Kevin, because I often do about everything we talk about. You're a snow guy, right? I, I don't mind the snow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, you know, an avid outdoorsman, but I like the seasons. I, I don't mind the snow. What I don't like is when you have snow that turns into that it's still cold, but it's not really snow anymore snow, which is what we have now. It's just sort of depressing and annoying, but whatever. It's fine. It'll be We'll be complaining about how hot it is soon enough. Absolutely. I... I will tell you, when I was doing my research, excuse me, let me back that up. I'm going to cut that from the episode. When our when my intern t- uh, team, the international intern team that we employ, was doing its research on the movie I wanted to go with, I looked no further than the bottom shelf of side B of my man shelf. Behind me in the office here. Throughout the entirety of 1992's Tim Burton classic, Batman Returns, snow is ever present. And what really stuck with me was the opening sequence in Batman Returns, the battle scene where the Penguin's army is coming out and attacking Gotham City during the tree lighting ceremony. I had forgotten how sloppy a mess the violence was because people are slipping in snow. (laughs) And it just reminded me of, you know, being downtown in January or February with your dad for a Red Wings game, walking through the streets of Detroit, trying to hustle to get to Joe Lewis or, you know, going to dinner with your parents in the winter and, you got to get dressed up because it's so-and-so's birthday party or something, and you're slugging through slush in a parking lot. That entire feel is omnipresent in that opening scene where they set the tone of Batman Returns. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the mad scramble to get up the stairs out of the frozen cold of the Detroit streets to get to the tube that takes you to Joe Lewis. Correct, like, correct. That's, that's what it was. Grown men falling over each other just to get out of the street and into a warm-ish tube. Yeah, so much about that movie involves snow and yeah, a couple of things that stood out to me as just really cool. And, you know, it's hard to believe that 1992... In my brain, in your brain, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it is long ago. And the special effects that they were able to use in Batman Returns, I mean, Tim Burton's always on the cutting edge of using certain shots and whatever technology is uh, is there at the time. And I couldn't believe, you know, I've seen Batman Returns, this is a conservative estimate, I've seen Batman Returns probably 150 times. <laughs> and uh, even watching it a few nights ago, just looking at, you know, making sure I had my my eyes dotted and T's crossed as we discussed this. You know, the scene where they're in the zoo and Penguin's got his home base and the outlay of the snowy, it looks like a mix between a zoo and an old 
carnival from like a horror film and how they shoot it and the snow falling down and you can see the breath when they're talking. They go through such extents to, to make you feel like, wow, we're in a cold, snowy, dreary situation here. Batman's battling the penguin and then all the way up to the end of the movie where Bruce Wayne is being driven by Alfred and he's going through the streets of Gotham as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman. The snow's falling on the windshield. There's snow throughout the streets and they run into that back alley and, you know, Bruce Wayne has this moment of reflection of one, being in an alley when the worst moment in his life happened and then two, he sees a little cat and, hmm, that's weird. I wonder if Selena Kyle is still in the picture and then, of course, the the ending of that movie that left so many things open uh, in controversial ways because you see Catwoman as the last scene of that movie and nothing really became of it. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's definitely one of those cliffhangers that they left it open to really take somewhere with the next episode. And then obviously there was a changing of the guard and Tim Burton was out and they never pursued it. No, (laughs) they went into a very dramatic, um, dramatically different direction, I think, with the next few films. And, you know, obviously they shook the deck with who played Batman and. We won't get into that because, you know, anyone who listens to this show know we've already done a Who's Your Batman episode, so you can feel how yes. we feel about those Batmans. But, yeah, I just, for me, uh, uh, snow in a movie, non-Christmas, non-holiday related, Batman Returns 1992. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. It's uh, it's It's got to be, in my opinion, it's at least, at least top 25 90s action movies at least um but it's it's uh keaton's my batman so i'm i'm you know i'm always gonna lean keaton well i love i love the dynamic of taking a familiar character and somewhat familiar plot line but adding a new element to it such as putting him in the snow um you know you get used to seeing batman on rooftops and you know, battling in the streets or in the Batcave or whatever. But, wow, seeing Batman and, you know, the frozen uh, tundra of Gotham and, uh, you know, seeing the breath and the falling snow is a cool dynamic to it. It adds uh, definitely a visual element to it. So I guess in a similar vein, my movie, Snow Moment will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody. And I could not live with myself if I didn't make this my movie snow moment. Um, Mine comes from the 1980 classic, The Empire Strikes Back, a.k.a. the best movie of all time. And Also straight to beta. Also straight to beta, (laughs) right? right? Like the 83... There was an 83 follow-up to this one, I believe, right? Yeah, you know how I'm into the B-flicks. Yeah, (laughs) those obscure uh, indie films like Star Wars. Yeah. Well, the Hoth battle scene, the frozen planet in the Hoth system, also known as the planet Hoth. Um, This one, you know, you go from the first Star Wars film at least in terms of release, 
you know, you're, you're used to seeing, you got a you got a desert scene, but other than that, basically you're in space, you're in space stations, you're in spaceships. Um, and then you take all the things you love about star Wars and you put them into this ice world. Um, and one of the most amazing and riveting sequences ever filmed centers around Darth Vader and the forces of the empire hunting down the rebels at their secret base on the planet Hoth, which is again, this you know frozen desert of snow and ice caves and glaciers. Um, they filmed it in Norway uh, amidst sub-zero temperatures. They had snow drifts that were measured up to 18 feet. Um, there was even an avalanche that blocked one of the roads they used for like equipment and supplies. Um, so it was the real deal. They were truly out in the elements. Um, even for some of the scenes, it was so bad. They just feet outside of the hotel door, but it was so bad. You couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty impressive. Um, and the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour or so of Empire Strikes Back takes place on this planet. But I want to talk specifically about the Hawk battle scene. Um, That the scene itself is, I don't know, probably about 10 minutes long. And it's absolutely mind blowing to this day. Um, It's probably the most seamless combination of live action practical effects, miniature animation, and computer effects ever created. I mean, it was filmed, what, almost 45 years ago, and it's still just stunning to behold. Um, You know, that's the scene that debuted the AT-AT, the Rebel Snowspeeder. Um, On Hoth, you get the Tauntaun, um, the creature that the Rebels ride on. You get the... the, uh, Wampa is like the abominable snowman creatures in that, uh, not the battle scene, but in uh, on the planet Hoth. I mean, all of these iconic Star Wars pieces come alive in the first, you know, 20 minutes of that film. And um, <laughs> that, that scene has become fertile ground for like all kinds of pop culture things. You've got, you know, memes left and right. I mean, I don't even think of temperature in terms of degrees of celsius or if you're a communist or uh fahrenheit if you're uh american but i think of it in terms of whether or not my tauntaun's going to freeze by the time i get to the outer marker kind of thing you know like it's that is so the hoth scene so ingrained in pop culture consciousness there's the uh <laughs> you may have seen the meanwhile in michigan meme where it's like the AT-ATs coming stopping through the ice planes <laughs> yeah, yeah, see like it's kind of the way it is around here yeah. at uh you know this time of year um just a couple of personal anecdotes for this for this one my buddy kevin kalish and uh also my friend his wife sarah <laughs> for their their wedding reception they had a huge visual presentation and included 
within that montage was the entire Hoth battle scene that played on a ginormous screen while people were dancing and drinking. And it was just outstanding in every way. Um, <laughs> and you'll appreciate this because, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, your, your kids encountering the snow when they're young. Um, my daughter, Izzy, was obsessed with Empire Strikes Back when she was super little for whatever reason, like Return of the Jedi was my son Thomas's thing. For whatever reason, Empire Strikes Back became Izzy's thing. And when she was barely old enough to speak, uh, she woke up on, you know, a Saturday morning and I'm with her on the couch. And it was one of those where first thing you do, you look outside and just encountering that first major snowfall, you know, everything's just pristine covered with whatever six inches of just pure snow everywhere and her face just lights up and her eyes get big and she starts getting this smile on her face and she just goes tauntaun tauntaun she fully expected to see actual tauntauns like trotting around on the front lawn because it was snowy (laughs) the 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 human brain as i've told you before if i hit the lottery I want to go back, get my medical degree, and really begin my career in neuroscience, studying the brain. But our brains as adults, they're not nearly as intriguing as the brain of a small child. Yeah, I think fortunately for guys like us, we've kept little pieces of that brain. (laughs) We try, man. I tell you what, (laughs) to the point where I'm calling you around a year ago saying, can we start doing a podcast so I don't forget about all the cool stuff I did when I was little? <laughs> I will not do that podcast with you. Well, somebody's got to talk about toys. Yeah, that's a that's a cool thing, man. I I I know. Again, here we go. Here we go. Divorce episode coming. Uh, I'm not yet because I've never closed the door on things in my life. I'm not yet a huge Star Wars fan. But Star Wars is beyond pop culture. It, it's basically, and sorry about this, Jesus. It's basically a religion for some people. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and I would have been, in the way that you were going to be shocked last week, had I not referenced Masters of the Universe with one of my four sports teams. Yeah. If you didn't work Star Wars into this episode, I was going to be really disappointed. Yep, no doubt. Had to happen. So, so TV, what you got? X-Men. It always goes back to X-Men, the animated series. 1993, uh, 92, 93. Uh, it's, it's gotten so bad. So half of the of side A of the man shelf is all X-Men, particularly uncanny X-Men from the early 90s. With a couple of additions from early or um, later X Men paraphernalia, um, but when we watch X Men at this house, one of my kids points out every single time, "Dad, that's your ringer," because the ringer on my phone is the <laughs> theme song of the Uncanny X Men. Like it's, I can't. It once you hear the opening theme song of the Uncanny X Men, you will never unhear it. And yeah. 
That series was so, so far out of its time. It was so cool. Everybody loved that show. Boys and girls, when I was a little kid, uh, I, I, I think they did such an excellent job of sneaking in really important adult concepts. I mean, let's forget about the fact that all the women in the show were very busty and extremely smoking hot. I mean, the animators had some fun with that. Uh, but they really tackled some adult issues. And the main thing that they reinforced in that show was diversity, inclusion, and uh, fighting against bigotry. That was literally yep. like the – before Woke, and I know we love Woke, Kevin – before woke oh. oh we love woke on this show don't get me started <laughs> on words that are dumb but concepts that are important oh my right? gosh just, so then people just start using the dumb word to blanket the important issue love those words yeah. we are huge woke people on this show um i really credit this show and a couple of others i think we discussed gi joe yeah, right? G.I. Joe yeah. being a yeah. huge influence where I think I could be wrong and some people have proven me otherwise. Hashtag awkward Thanksgiving moments episode. <laughs> I, think, I think you and I were part of a couple of generations where some of these things are not as just inherent as they were in the past where you and I grew up with like, wow, that person could be purple with green arms, and man, they're cool. And the X-Men were literally developed to show that we have all of these people who are just born this way, and we hate them. That's not really a cool thing to do. Right. So yeah. there's an episode in season one. It's episode six. It's called Cold Vengeance. And it to give you a brief synopsis of the episode... Wolverine is trying to get away from the stress of being an X-person, X-man, and he takes a skiing trip by himself up into the Arctic uh, area of Canada where he's from, and lo and behold, his old arch nemesis, Sabretooth, follows him up there, and they begin a 21-minute battle royale up in Canada. A, uh, a mogul off? Yes. So I won't get into extreme details about the episode. It's super fast-paced. Like I said, 21 minutes long. But what I will touch on, the far more important things are the New Adventures of X-Men comic book that I had as a kid that is the uh, graphic picture that's also on the VHS that back in the day... Marvel did an exceptional job of capitalizing on every cent they could pull out of children. They took basically like the first season of the Uncanny X-Men and created VHSs where they literally put one episode on the entire VHS. Oh, that's just, come on. That was it. One episode with like a couple of commercials for toys and then an introduction to the show. This VHS that I... As as progressive as they may have been with, you know, racial and, uh, you know, other social issues, 
they certainly weren't forward thinking when it came to the environment. Oh my gosh, Kevin. So I had, of course, I had like seven of these VHSs and lo and behold, I, I've had the VHS at my mom and dad's house. I've had it forever. I've watched it 10,000 times as a kid. Uh, I called my mom a few nights ago and said, Hey, can you, can you send that VHS with Megan, uh, over to our house so I can take a picture of it for what I'm about to talk to on Friday. And of course my mom found it in like 10 seconds. Nice. Yeah. So nice. that's, that's my TV show, cold vengeance, uncanny X-Men 1993 Wolverine and Sabretooth getting at it above the Arctic circle in Canada. If you haven't ever watched it, you can find the entire episode for free on YouTube. Outstanding choice. This TV was hard, man, because let me tell you, like, I'll get to mine, but let me tell you, too, that I didn't pick that part of me feels really guilty about. I did not pick either the Homer and Mr. Burns get locked in the cabin by the avalanche episode, and I didn't pick Mr. Plow, right? Like, mm. I, feel, I feel really bad. Like, somebody... Somebody, one of the three people who listen to this show, is going to justifiably punch me in the back of the head at some point because of that. I thought for sure you were going Mr. Plow. Oh. I told you last episode how one of my favorite things to do is to try to figure out beforehand where you're going. Yeah, I know. I just... I even started practicing my, that name again is Mr. (laughs) Plow. Mr. Plow. I did not. What I chose was from another of our favorites, the iconic TV shows of all time. G.I. Joe. Yes. A real American hero. Specifically, specifically episode three of the original five-part miniseries. This is the episode with the mass device which, if you'll recall, Cobra, via Destro's evil genius, built this super weapon called the Mass Device. It can teleport troops and weapons and stuff, like anywhere in the world, instantaneously. Uh, naturally, Cobra Commander took credit for all this, as, as well he should. Of course. Um, the only way for the Joes to stop them is to build their own. So the Joes set out in this quest to find the elements that will power their mass device. And of course these are spread in like the most remote and inhospitable places on the planet. There's one at the bottom of the sea. There's one in a volcano and there's one in the Arctic. And it is in the Arctic where there, uh, the radioactive crystals are. And this is the part in that early, early phase of GI Joe when the legend of snake eyes was really born. Um, when the Joes arrive in the Arctic, they, they track the crystals to this ice cave and the covers have figured all this out. They know where these things are. So major bloods there and he ambushes the Joes with his Cobra troops. And in the battle, major blood detonates some kind of an explosive and it traps the Joes in the cave where these crystals are. And it releases this radioactive gas. So, you know, Obviously, this is bad. Um, all's, uh, all's not going to end well for the Joes until Snake Eyes manages to save the day. 
he seals off a portion of the cave where the rest of his teammates are and in the process seals him inside the part of the cave where the poisonous gas is coming from. So, um, and then he's trapped, finds this lever and releases a hatch so all of his teammates can get out of the cave while he's stuck getting radiated, irradiated by the gas. Um, of course, Cobra screws this up and, you know, he manages to escape with the crystals, no less. <laughs> but he's barely alive at this point and he's struggling through this blizzard on foot with radiation sickness. But what an absolute baller move to save your friends and teammates from certain death by taking ones for the team like that. Huge, huge hero point. Now, He's not done. He punches another ticket on his baller legend card, okay? Because along the way to nowhere, as he's stumbling through the Arctic, you know, dying from radiation sickness, he, of course, happens upon a timber wolf that's stuck in a trap, which, of course, as any baller hero would do, he rescues from the trap, and he, the wolf, later known as Timber, and Snake Eyes become besties. So, pro tip, you want to attract the longing gaze of an eligible young lady, you save your friends from certain death, and you adopt a puppy. Boom. Snake Eyes, absolute legend. And ultimately, he manages to get out of there because some old blind dude shows up after a polar bear attacks him. And uh, they make it back to the headquarters and deliver the crystals. Um, if you remember this scene, another awesome part about this snow battle, the snow uh, encounter, when they're in the cave, there are these, I think they call them like giant mecha cobras or something. They're the huge cobra robots. And they turn around as they're in the cave. You think they're just this block of ice and they turn around, it's giant you know, Cobra robot, and they start blasting and stuff. They have, like, flamethrowers. Just awesome, awesome bad guy equipment. Um, shout out to Kokomo Toys in Kokomo, Indiana. They have a life-size one of those in the store. That's excellent. And it, it is one of the coolest freaking things. And I, of course, have a picture of it I will send to you. That's excellent. Can we um, use it for the real? Can we use it for the real? I, yeah, of course. Perfect. Give them a shout out. Um but I got to say, man, like this episode, when I was a kid, this was the reason every one of my friends wanted to be Snake Eyes when we played G.I. Joe. You know, not only did he look awesome, you know, he traveled around with a wolf, but there's just there's something about that hero vibe, like the taken one for the team that just resonated with us. Um, the scene was cool. Characters were cool. That whole first miniseries of G.I. Joe was just mind-blowing, and this was a really big part of it, that Arctic encounter. And, you know, if you search, recently, I think it was Super 7, came out with uh, the the figure of Snake Eyes, like, holding the, can- the canister of the crystals and the blind hermit on his, like, sleigh with the sleigh dogs. That's awesome. It's so cool. Super 7. <laughs> I swear to you, Super 7 is doing God's work while simultaneously depleting the bank accounts of any boy born between 1975 and 1990. They are 
I'm not sure there would be a cooler company to work for. <laughs> they do God's work. Kevin, that's an excellent choice. Um, just to touch back on Snake Eyes being an absolute legend of the game. Yes, I think he was in my top five in terms of G.I. Joe's as a boy. Obviously, you know that I'm partial to General Hawk, mostly because of the 1991 version of General Hawk with the talking backpack that I did not purchase at Comic Oasis when it was very affordable. And then some years later, saw the inflation rate hit the talking G.I. Joe Captain Hawks. And now I have a loose one. And even that was a little bit too pricey for me. <laughs> but one on card back is, uh, I mean, it's it's three figures. So we're just not going to talk yeah. about it right now. Um, yeah. Count on G.I. Joe to be your TV choice. The weird part about the next two categories is, upon further reflection, these two kind of coincided. So if you'll allow me, may I do a combo of my of my snow moments slash so moment and the toy yeah rip it man now i'll begin this bit of a diatribe i'm about to go on with my parents did an excellent job of raising us they gave us every advantage you could possibly ask for uh, we never were concerned about food on the table heat in our home, a roof over our head. But in the same respect, they didn't have the touchy-feely approach that I think guys of our generation have with parenting. So the events of the following story will be very believable if you use that as kind of a catalyst to jump us into the story. So when we would have the day off from school, it was not an excuse to sit inside and play on our iPads or control the television. It was literally, well, one of us has to stay home, John or Karen, and I don't want it to be me, and if I do stay home, I'm going to punish these kids for making me stay home. <laughs> so around the early 90s, we get a, a dog, and this dog is a mutt from a farm in the Monroe area. French town township, Monroe, excuse me, sorry, Monroe, which is south of Canton. Um, my dad comes home one day, we had lost a dog, and he comes home with a replacement pooch in this little, this little tiny black dog, cute as a button, which was apparently fed radiation-soaked dog food as a puppy, <laughs> because this thing became a mutant of mutants. It was supposed to be a black lab mixed with a golden retriever. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, its uh, hobag mom had gotten out of its kennel and perused the neighborhood, whilst in heat. And the farmer basically was just like, listen, I got 11 puppies here. This dog got out. I don't know what impregnated it. but <laughs> So 11 puppies... One of them was black. Ten of them were, like, brownish. So my dad, he's down in a job downriver, finds this dog. I think he paid, like, 50 bucks for it. Comes home. Guys, you have a new dog here. We name it Gonzo. Nice. Not from 
the Jim Henson puppet Gonzo. Oh. But because of my mom's unhealthy obsession with none other than Ted Nugent. <laughs> so, from, from Ted Nugent, we named this dog Gonzo. And this dog is a problem, bro. First couple years of its life, he is just a wrecking crew beyond wrecking crews. By the age of one, he's big enough to stand up on the kitchen counter and drink out of the sink. Oh, wow. <laughs> By the age of, like, 18 months, he's big enough to put his paws on the countertop and just take whatever food is left out on the countertop. Yeah. This dog ends up becoming about 140 pounds. Holy smokes. Not fat, either. Just a big, chiseled animal. And couldn't have been more fun. As soon as he got through the chewing phases... Was a great dog. He was taken from us way too early in life. I lost him in high school. Cried like a baby when we had to put him down. But those couple first years were not that safe to be around the dog. <laughs> and one day while out on a snow day with my little sister, Catherine, who at the time was obese. Um, <laughs> yes, we've established. <laughs> worth saying here. I'm playing with my, here's my toy, the flippin' recycling bin <laughs> that I would pack with snow and use to build a fort. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a big, like, sand toy, basically. Yeah, you fill it with snow, and then you build bricks on top of each other. We would yeah. take all the snow off the deck, and we'd build, like, a fort on the deck. It was actually a pretty cool, fun game, but while I'm constructing this monstrosity of a snow cave i don't know what happened but katie started running away from gonzo and gonzo from behind tackled her completely we're talking full-on leaps through the air out of the snow jumps on her back and then she's got some kind of like fluff on the back of her snowsuit i think he saw a rabbit or a squirrel possibly so he starts tearing it to shreds, <laughs> savagely ripping into my sister, as if she's a live animal, an enemy animal in the backyard. Oh, no. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, I did not jump to action. <laughs> I sat and enjoyed watching my little sister get <laughs> savagely ripped to pieces by my dog, Gonzo. My dog, Gonzo, was so happy to have destroyed my sister on that fateful day that <laughs> we call it, um, you know, we're still keeping it G rated here. Right. So we call it the dog's lipstick. If you've uh -huh. ever been around a male dog when it's really happy, yeah. um, the lipstick was full out. That's how excited oh. he was to be savagely destroying my little, my little <laughs> sister, Katie. So I don't know for the next, 20 or 30 minutes or so, I sat on the back deck and watched Gonzo just lay into Katie while she cried. <laughs> so that, that is my... You didn't even have the excuse of, like, having a cell phone to, you know, record it. You just, you literally went inside, you popped the Orville Redenbacher popcorn on the stove, no less. Then you came back outside and caught the tail end. Yeah, I've never been happier. I mean, I could hear Katie's screams while being almost suffocated in the fresh powdered snow in the backyard, but I did nothing to help. I just watched Gonzo, you know, play with what was ever hanging off of her snowsuit. One of these days, we may have to have Katie 
guest appear on the show and give her version of these stories that you tell about her. <laughs> she, to this day, Kevin, no bit. It's brought up at least a couple times a year. And it's usually like, well, yeah, it's like when Kevin watched Gonzo basically try to kill me for about 30 minutes and did nothing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess that's a great comparison to why I didn't pick that plate up off the table and put it in the garbage. <laughs> Kevin yeah, would do that. that Kevin would do that. Yeah, she has asked to be on the show for two things. To reinforce the fact that she's smoking hot now and no longer childly obese. And then two, she wants to do a complete 90s rap episode. I definitely would be down with that. Which we could do. Kevin, hit me with your story. Sorry I comboed mine, but it was too easy to do. That's all right. You know, I'm going to sort of, well, I'm not going to combo them necessarily, but I'll do a quick one about my toy. This one was hard because, I mean, there's so many obvious ones, and I really appreciate yours because, you know, the way that we can find toys in all kinds of random objects. Yep. Uh, I love that. And that's a great choice. I mean, it would be disingenuous for me to pick the three piece toboggan as my favorite snow toy moment, because I already trashed that gift on our Christmas episode. So <laughs> I trash it out of love because we do still have it. And we just used it the other day. Um, but, and I hate, to necessarily keep going back to the well and beat the dead horse inside of the well. But on top of that, I will qualify this. I could easily have just chosen the ad ad and that would have been the obvious one and I would have been fine with that. But I feel like the, the ad ad has, has covered a lot of ground. Let's, let's park that one for a minute. What about this one? Tell me if you remember this one, this, I think probably is my favorite snow toy. Part of the 1985 vehicle line of GI Joes, none other than the Snowcat. Yeah, I do remember I, that. Yeah. I would say that's one of the last of the great run of GI Joe vehicles. There are plenty after that, but that is an absolute classic. Um, Part tank, part truck, all awesome. Um, it's full of weaponry. It had that awesome turret on the back that shot the rockets that you could pull out of there. Um, it had the two torpedoes on the sides that were on like skis, so you could launch them and they would ski over the surface and hit their target. Super functional. You know, the cockpit fit two of the Joes, and then there were pegs on the side so that more guys could could uh, hitch a ride um came with a driver frostbite who i'd kind of forgotten about but i'm always going to associate the snow cat with one of my favorite characters from the whole gi joe series snow job yeah that figure and that character was just way way up on my list of gi joe heroes um he the, just the idea of having a guy who came with skis that you could take on and off, um, bring him out into the snow and actually like have him go down one of the little slopes that you build. Um, just all of that was just so mind blowing to me. And 
there was something about really all of the G.I. Joe snow figures. So you had the Snowcat, you had um, Frostbite, you had Snow Job. Cobra had its own Arctic Trooper. Like, playing with those figures, it, it made you want to, and even felt like you were playing in the snow, even if you weren't. There was just something about it that just transported you into that into that environment. Um, and Snow Job was one of those guys. And I think for a future episode, OC, we might think about um, doing an episode about favorite uh, toy game, video game, purchasing slash receiving experiences. Because I have some pretty awesome ones snow job was one of mine because you picture yourself in toys r us you know 80s 90s era you got the end cap with this huge like wall of figs right like six feet of gi joes or star wars or he-man or whatever now you had all the ones facing you from the front row but you had to like look behind them right yeah you had to pull them down the peg to see if there's anything else hidden behind because yes. you'd get these jamokes that would take, you know, when they, when the representative from whatever toy company it was walked into Toys R Us, they had a display idea that they fed Toys R Us. And you would get somebody who put the figs on the pegs in a certain order until an yep. idiot came by and, oh, let me put one snow job behind 14 Cobra Commanders. And I'm convinced because I did a first, you know, a first perusal through all of them, because I came to Toys R Us wanting Snow Job, and that's it. That was my mission. And I was so disappointed, because I went through all of them, and I couldn't find it. Somebody, some sly little punk, whose mom probably said, no, I told you, you're not getting one today, tried to hide it. And I went back, and I looked behind, like, one of the middle shelf things, and I found them stashed back there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah! I was so excited. Clearly a like, child whose parents are divorced and this kid was just going to wait it out till his dad brought him back on the weekend. Yep. So he could, <laughs> yeah, I know this scenario all too well, my friend. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, that completed my, my snow job experience, but I, it'd be fun to revisit that someday with uh, some other ones. Cause there's some, I got some dandies, but my snow moment. Okay. Uh, I don't have any vicious uh, animal attacks, quite, but I was close. Let me tell you why. It's funny you brought that up. In the pre-marriage, pre-kid days, Irene and I, my wife and I used to go skiing up north with some of her college crew, and our friend uh, Dan Hart and his wife Erica would go up with us on weekends to like Harbor Springs area, and you know we'd stay in his mom's place which you know is like a, a, a little sort of ski house in a little ski neighborhood then we go skiing the next day well I was new to the crew I was the new guy we go up and uh, so I'm getting shown around the place you know one winter Friday night fresh snow everywhere kind of deal and Dan is showing me around the back porch area like out the, the back sliding deck window we look out of the back this fresh snow covered backyard coming across the yard onto the deck and up to the door were prints. Okay. Giant prints. 
not boots, not shoes, not snowshoes. They were not human at all. Nor were they a deer, a dog, a wolf, or even a bear. I swear to you, they were these huge, human-like prints that were like big but long, not human, but human-ish. Absolutely terrifying. I felt this chill go down my spine, and Dan and I both look at each other with this look of like, partly like, this is the awesomest thing ever, and partly like, holy crap, we're going to die. <laughs> It was unbelievable. And, like, we're just, you know, late 20-something, whatever, like, reasonable people. Dan's, like, a finance director. I'm an attorney. You know, we're trying to be very rational about this. But your mind does weird stuff when you encounter something like that. And, uh, you know, mind you, we're with our then-girlfriend. So, uh, of course, you know, we got to try to put on a front. So our first reaction is, like, well, we got to go get a weapon. So I think we had figured out that, there was a rifle in the house, but it didn't have any ammunition. So we ended up with like the best steak knives the kitchen had to offer and convinced ourselves that we could take on any kind of Yeti, any kind of Sasquatch that walked through that sliding glass door at any moment. And our solution was basically like, we'll hold these steak knives and we'll drink a ton of Labatt Blue and we'll be just fine. And uh, as it turns out, we were. Uh, that's exactly how it played out. Um, we ended up skiing without incident. But, man, I'll tell you what, every time Dan and I think about that, I can't explain it, man. I I cannot explain it. It was well, crazy. The, the best stories are, are truth and uh, don't require a script or any type of creation. That scares the living heck out of me. Uh, I am a – what's the best way of putting this without completely making me sound like a lunatic? For as much as we do know in our world, I think there is an equal and maybe even more uh, slice of the pie that we don't know. And yep. when you get up into some of the backcountry of Upper Michigan, I will, I will tell you, uh, you are an attorney. Friend is a finance manager. I I am older than eight, and I also have an advanced degree. I was up in Crystal Mountain last year, and I, I went running in the morning. I'm pretty sure I saw, like, a real Yeti and a Bigfoot, and I have never run that quick in my entire life. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's the Freddy Krueger, uh, you know, the 99% check down where you're like, dude, that's wow. a fake Freddy. <laughs> and, and what I saw in the woods was honestly probably like a tree and maybe a squirrel jumping out of it. But yeah. up in crystal mountain in November of whatever it was, 2022 or yeah, 2022, um, on my run. And I, I dude, there is an element of the unknown up in upper Michigan, especially up in die UP. <laughs> That might have been a squatch coming on that on that porch there to just kind of see what's in that ski hut. Yeah, I, well, I think you chose wisely because it's that cost benefit analysis. Like, what does it really cost you 
to go with that 1% chance that it could be real and run a little faster and scream like a child. Oh my you gosh, know? Kevin. You don't have really anything to lose. Got back to, a little dignity. Got back to the hotel, <laughs> Stephanie. How was your run? Oh, let's not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, man. So snow, and, and then you add in that snow element, there's just already a, just a mystery, just this kind of otherworldly component to it. And, uh, it heightens all the senses, man. So Something freaky, else. dude. That's so awesome and so freaky and so on brand with stuff that we've encountered in life. <laughs> Nobody but us would believe each other, but I believe you wholeheartedly. I'm telling you. Well, and thinking back to Hoth, maybe it was a maybe it was a Wampa, you know, teleported this way somehow. Maybe the mass device, Cobra Commander, Destro brought him over. Who knows? Kevin, big weekend this weekend for you and the rest of Detroit. Uh, the Lions will be in the conference championship. Um, I'll probably be at Target while the game's on, like I was last weekend. But I, I root for nothing more than the success of our Detroit Lions and the success of this great state and its metrop- metropolitan area of Detroit proper. So to wrap it up, I want to tell you, I love you, man. I, I have so appreciated you stepping in to do these intros because... Um, the fan feedback was just really, it was, it was vicious. Um, as vicious as Gonzo tearing Katie's snowsuit up in 1993 or whatever it was, uh, next week. I'm just, I'm bummed that you don't have a picture of that for the real though. I'm going to send a picture though. So for people who think I'm calling for, for people who are going to call BS on this, I am going to send a picture of me at the age of 14 years old with Gonzo jumping on my back while we were camping. My mom found this picture. He's as wow. big as I am. Nice. Which doesn't say much because I think at 14 I was, you know, maybe four foot two, 65 pounds soaking wet. But no, in, in all actuality, I'm I'm at least like five three, five four at this time. And he's taller than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, man. Next week we'll get after it. Love you. Hope you have a great weekend. Appreciate you hopping on. That's all I got, brother. Yep. Love you too, brother. Go Lions. Peace. Peace out, bye.